So here we are, a few days into the season of Lent, a few days into the season, like if you came to Mass on Ash Wednesday, you heard the Lord say, give me your whole heart. Even now, says the Lord, I desire your whole heart. That's what, that's what this purpose of the season's about. And if anything like me, only a few days into it, we realize that's not easy. It's not easy to give the Lord everything. In fact, it's really easy to make little compromises. It's really easy to start cutting corners. It's really easy to kind of start even already giving up on our penances a little bit. I don't, I don't really need to do that, right? I don't, to, I don't have to let the Lord into that area. I don't have to give him everything, right? Jesus knows that. Jesus recognizes how difficult it is. And I think that's why we begin this season of Lent with Jesus going into the desert for 40 days. He begins the season of Lent with us to be tempted with us because he knows how difficult it is so that he can be with us in the midst of our temptations. And the readings we have, particularly the first reading in the gospel, I think they kind of give us a little bit of like the devil's playbook as to what that temptation looks like. Think about like, have you ever heard of the the C.S. Lewis novel, The Screwtape Letters? It's a series of letters written from like a senior level demon to more of a lower level one, kind of giving him advice on how to make man fall. That's kind of what we get in these scripture readings. We get to see how the devil's going to act in our lives. I want to particularly look at that first reading. It's like the primordial fall of man. We all have a little bit of that original sin. We're born with that. So I think how the devil acts in this scripture passage speaks a lot about how he acts concretely in our own lives today. To set the scene, right? God created man and woman. He placed them in this perfect garden. The fullness of of everything they could ever want, this land of abundance, he gives that to them. And he says, of everything here, you can eat of all the different trees and and, and fruits of the trees in the garden. Two, Two particular trees are named, though. They have the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Right? And God says, he gives us the tree of life. He says, I want, to, I want to give you an abundance of life, fullness of life, everything you could ever desire, I desire to give to you. Then the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he says, we're not to eat. Not because he wants to keep man in the dark, he doesn't want to not, not allow man to have knowledge. But what this tree of knowledge implies is, is deciding for oneself what's good and what's evil apart from God. See, God doesn't want man to eat of that tree because he desires to be in a relationship with him. He desires man to trust him, that God is going to give us what is actually good for us. We don't have to decide that for ourselves apart from him. And so he says, no, don't eat from that tree so that I desire to be in a relationship with you, a relationship of trust, which is important for what comes next. Now, I think at least for me, all the, the cartoons, the children's Bibles, all these stories kind of make me, every time I hear this passage, I think about it in kind of like almost like a, a cartoon fairy tale kind of way, right? We have a little cartoon Adam and Eve. I'm sure this was in my mind as I heard it. We have this little cartoon Adam and Eve in this nice pretty garden. It's a beautiful day outside. We have the little tree with the apple hanging from it, right? And this nice little garden snake kind of coming around the tree to come talk to Eve, right? It's got this very kind of playful childlike image to it. That's not actually the, the, the feel that the text is, is speaking to us. See, in fact, we know pretty positively that this, this serpent that is talked about is not a snake because then God's punishment to the serpent after the fact wouldn't make any sense. He punished him that he would crawl on his belly. If he was already doing that, then that, the punishment wouldn't do anything. 
other areas in the Old Testament, when they use this word, it refers to something like a monster, a dragon, the Leviathan, this kind of like crocodile-like creature maybe, some kind of thing that we know for sure is that it evoked terror. It evoked fear. When you heard about that or when you saw that, that serpent, it would make a chill run down your spine. You'd feel threatened. You'd feel terrified. It wasn't just this harmless little snake. When Eve saw this serpent coming, she, she, would, have been, she, would, have been, she would have felt threatened. She would have been scared. And it's from that spot, that, that's the feel of what happens when the devil comes and he says, did God really try not, not let you eat of any, any fruit of the tree in the garden? Notice he doesn't use force. He doesn't kind of try to overpower her. He's a lot more subtle. And in fact, the answer to that question is, is no. That's not what God said. God said you can eat from anything in the garden, even this tree of life, just not this one tree. That's what the devil does. First, he scares us. He terrifies us. He puts fear into our hearts. And then he starts planting that doubt. You can't trust him. Did God really tell you that you can do that? That you can't do that? And then Eve made her first, and I think her biggest mistake. She dialogued with the serpent. She dialogued with that temptation. Whenever we try to rationalize our temptations, our fears, whenever we try to kind of enter into a conversation with that, more often than not, we're going to lose every time. But she, she's in this spot of fear. She feels threatened. There's nowhere else she can go. The devil has put herself between her and God. And so she can't. She, just, she has to enter into that conversation she feels like. So she says, God told us not to touch or to eat of just of this tree in the middle of the garden. And already, we see the devil's plan working. Because that's not what God said. God didn't say anything about touching. And she just talks about the tree in the garden when there's actually two trees, remember. There's the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Slowly but surely, the devil's luring her away, making her even forget the gift that God gave to her. God gave her this tree of life. But she says, no, God said I couldn't touch or eat the, tree of, the fruit of the tree in the middle. She forgot about it. She doesn't see it. It seems harmless, but that's how the devil works. Very slowly luring us away, luring our vision away from the gift that God actually has given us in his presence with us. And then the devil's next move is to make God into a liar. He's not telling you the truth. You're not going to die if you eat the fruit of this tree. You're going to become like God. You're going to have everything you ever wanted. You can't trust God to give that to you. You have to go and grasp it for yourself. He's not going to give that to you. right? If we want something, we have to go and take it. So go ahead and grab it. And Eve, in the midst of this fear, in the midst of feeling threatened, not feeling like anywhere else that there's, there's no one else, she can't hear God. God seems so very far away. He know, she knows what he told her, but it just doesn't seem real. There's nowhere else to go. There's nowhere else to turn. There's only one option. And so she eats the fruit. She gives it to Adam. Adam eats the fruit. And from our perspective, we can listen to this and think, how could she have turned away? God gave her everything she could ever want. How could Adam and Eve have fallen and eaten the fruit of the tree so quickly? But we all know when we're in that moment of temptation, when the doubts and the fear seem so real, it seems like there's no other way out. God seems so distant. 
His promises seem so far-fetched. We know how easy it is to give in when we're in that moment. The scriptures today give us this perspective, this objective view. We can see what's happening. We can see what's going on so that when we're in that moment, we can prepare ourselves. We can recognize what God is doing, I mean, and what the devil is doing, rather, and not even let him get that far. Jesus comes into temptation in the gospel so that from within he can free us from that. Notice the devil does the exact same thing. He, quests, he, he tries to implant doubt in Jesus' relationship with God. If you are the son of God, right? You're not really his son. He's not really your father. You're not who you think you are. He's not who you think he is. You have to prove it. Prove to yourself that all this is true. Show your power. Don't trust in him. Grasp that for yourself. That's what the devil's trying to get Jesus to do. And Jesus undergoes that. And it, it, I imagine that it was very difficult for Jesus because he knows how difficult temptation is for all of us. And Jesus doesn't dialogue with the devil. He shows us what to do. And that's hold on to the truth and to speak the truth to the devil. To speak the word of God to the devil. Notice the devil has no counter to anything Jesus said because he's powerless in the face of truth. He can't do anything. We're not, we don't dialogue with him. We don't rationalize it. But we hold on to what we know to be true and we speak that to the devil, to our temptation. We recognize that Jesus is present with us in that, that we're not alone. There is a way out, that God is there, there is a gift that he gave us. I want to leave you with three thoughts that just came, that come to mind as, we, as I reflect on, the, on these readings. Three things that maybe we can think about this week. The first one, addressed particularly to the men. Why is this called the sin of Adam? Didn't Eve? Eve's the one who fell, right? Eve's the one who ate the fruit. Why do I always call this the sin of Adam? I would argue that what we hear in the reading today isn't actually the first sin. I think this is actually more of like a result of the first sin. See, before this, God gave Adam, before Eve was even created, God gave Adam a command to till the earth, to cultivate it, and to protect it, to guard it, to watch over it. Which means there's something that he has to guard it and protect it against. That serpent should never have gotten into the garden. It was man's responsibility to guard and protect the garden from, from anything evil. Adam allowed the serpent to come in, and then he stood by silently as Eve entered into this dialogue. He was right there. Eve turned and gave him the fruit, and Adam had said nothing. Men, the Lord, God, has given us a call to protect, to guard, and to watch over, primarily, first of all, the garden of our hearts, and then the gardens of those who are, who are in our lives, our friends, wives, girlfriends, fiancés. The Lord has given us this invitation and this call to be a protector, to not let evil to come into our lives and to not stand by silently as we see it working in our lives and in the lives of others, to take action, to speak up, and to protect. That's the call that we have. Second, 
What do Adam and Eve do after this fall? They go hide. They run away. And then the Lord comes down to find them. And not in like an angry, like, where are you kind of, like, I'm going to punish you kind of coming. But the text speaks about this desire for reconciliation. He comes out of a desire to be with Adam and Eve in the midst of what's going on to offer them reconciliation. And then Adam and Eve blame everything, everyone. Adam blames Eve, Eve blames Adam, they blame the servant, they blame God for putting all the situation together. The psalm that we heard, the responsorial psalm, also comes from the context of a great sin. The sin of David and Bathsheba. If you remember David, out of a, after a day of laziness, of just sleeping, he has an affair with Bathsheba, and then has her husband killed to cover it up. And then when Nathan comes to, to reveal the sin to David, David, his heart is, is, is pierced. And he writes this psalm out of a response to that, God, have mercy on me. I am so sorry for what I've done. Have mercy. I, I'm sorry. Please forgive me, God. And he does. I wonder what human history would have been like if that was Adam and Eve's response. If they would have just come before the Lord who was seeking them out and said, God, I am, I am so sorry. We, we tried and we, we failed. Please forgive us. I, we don't know the answer to that question, but I imagine things would have played out a little bit differently. Our temptation when, we're, when we experience sin is to hide and to try to place the blame on something or somebody else. When the Lord, coming to seek us, doesn't care about any of that, He just desires to be with us. The invitation is not to hide, but to run to the Father, to run to mercy, to the reconciliation that He desires to give to us, to run to Him in, in the Eucharist, in our own prayer, in the sacrament of confession, not to hide, not to feel ashamed, but to come before the Lord and say, Lord, I am so sorry, in full confidence that he is going to offer us that reconciliation every single time. And finally, the gospel shows us that Jesus enters into temptation to, to redeem it from within. He comes to be with us in the midst of our temptations, right? The devil, what he wants to do is to make us doubt, to forget God, to distrust him, and to make us think that we're alone, there's no other option. When we experience temptation, instead of kind of like trying to stuff it or to run away from it or to rationalize it, invite Jesus into it. Very really, whether out loud, in the quiet of your own heart, invite Jesus into the midst of our temptations. Recognize his presence there. That's why he was tempted, to be with us in the midst of our temptations. Say, Jesus, I, I need you to be with me right now. I recognize your presence as I'm undergoing this temptation. Be with me. Help me to see your light. Help me to see that I am not alone. As we continue to go through this Lenten journey, temptations will come. Jesus speaks to us tonight to remind us that we are not alone. No matter the, whatever the doubt, the fear, the lie the devil tries to plant into us, we're not alone. He's here, and he has that, that invitation, that hand extended to be with us, no matter what situation presents itself. He is here. We're not alone. Amen.